I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. I am your host, Isaiah Henkel. And in today's show, we're doing something special. We are doing a digest of the best information that's out on the web about how to transition into industry. This is specifically information that's relevant to PhDs like you listening to this. Now, every single week, and we've been doing this for years, we put out a best of this week, which is the best industry transition articles from around the web for PhDs. Now, about a month ago, I had somebody reach out to me and say, Isaiah, you have to start putting uh, this article on the podcast, on the radio show. So I thought about it for a while. I wasn't quite sure how to do it, uh, but I thought that it would be helpful. Uh, so here I'm reviewing this last week's uh, collection of the best articles around the web. I figured out a way to give you the best information possible uh, that we will have time for in this radio show uh, and to focus on the articles that our staff has picked uh, as being the top information in the different categories uh, that, we, that we rank articles for every single week. Now, again, if this is all brand new news to you, if you go to our website, cheekyscientist.com, and you look under the resources page, this is where you can find our best of transition articles. Um, and they come out every single week uh, on the weekend, Saturday, I believe. And this week's best of transition is for August 1st, 2020, moving forward. Uh, August 1st, 2020, moving forward. Uh, so these articles are the most relevant information, the best information out there, and the categories that our staff uh, picks articles for include networking, CVs and resumes, interviews, transferable skills, academic blues, industry positions, and business acumen. Now, out of all of those picks, we also, uh, our staff chooses the top article overall, uh, our staff of PhDs like you. Uh, the top article overall uh, for this past week was four skills you can add to your resume that you've learned from working remotely during the pandemic. This is a great article, and I'm going to I'm going to jump to that article uh, first because it talks about a characteristic that I think is very, very important that few of us uh, communicate on our resume or at all during a job search. Now, so again, the title is Four Skills You Can Add to Your Resume That You've Learned from Working Remotely During the Pandemic. The first skill is communication. You might be thinking, oh, communication doesn't sound that impressive. But if you've listened to any radio show, if you've read any of our material, you know that employers care about the transferable skills that sound simple, uh, that give rise to the more complex technical skills. As a PhD, they know you can be hyper-technical. They got that. You got that box checked. But do you understand that communication is important? And how are you letting them know that you can communicate in various forms uh, of media, uh, online especially during the, during the pandemic and uh, no matter what happens uh, during the second wave of, of response to the pandemic, are you going to be able to be mentored uh, virtually, uh, which could mean by email, by phone, by Zoom, whatever medium they need you to be able to learn on. Are you going to be able to mentor others? Are you going to be able to onboard? Are you going to be able to get things done? 
Number two, time management. Along those same lines, productivity, that's number three. All of this is important. It's something that a lot of PhDs look past. They don't think they need to explain that they can be productive. Yet, companies evaluate a lot of metrics just to look at a company's productivity. Uh, one of the largest sectors of business is business operations. There are COOs at just about every uh, company, certainly all the global 500 companies, uh, chief operations officer, operations, how things get done, looking at the productivity or the organization, all the way down to productivity of individuals is crucial. Are you even mentioning that you are a highly productive person, that you have a strong work ethic? Are you talking about how you evaluate uh, your results on the investment of your effort? That's why time management and productivity are on here. The fourth one is the one uh, that I just thought was brilliant to put into this article. Um, conscientiousness. Consistency. Uh, consistency along with the ability to care about others, your audience, right? Communicating or getting things done in a way that also helps them, that is conscientious to, to their needs, but at the same time, being consistent as well. And there's a, I'm going to read an excerpt from this article. First, I want to uh, say congratulations uh, to Hayden Field uh, for writing this article. Excellent job. Uh, our top pick from our staff, conscientiousness. Listen to this ex excerpt. You get hired for extroversion. And then you get raises for conscientiousness. Um, this is cited from an article published recently, uh, which suggests a correlation between extroversion and starting salary, but not salary growth. Now, if you're not an extrovert, that's okay, but you know that when you show up to an interview, you have to put your best foot forward. You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to enunciate. You have to dress for success. Going back to this excerpt, and I'm paraphrasing some of this, while on the other hand, conscientiousness was unrelated to starting salary growth, but significantly so to salary growth. Um, I think there's a typo in there. I think it should say conscientiousness was unrelated to starting salary, but significantly so to salary growth. Okay, so going back to what it said before, whatever you want to start at in terms of your salary, of course, is based on the interview, how well you negotiate, all things that we teach on. But your salary growth, how well you perform at the organization, depends on conscientiousness. Now, this is definitely something you want to communicate beforehand. Uh, so, for example, during uh, – I'm going to go back to the excerpt here. Uh, during a job interview, for instance, warmth and high energy are often associated with extroversion, uh, which could help a candidate's odds of selection. But the researchers of this study suggest those qualities – will not necessarily propel, propel a career forward as much as the intrinsic motivation and organization often associated with conscientiousness. Figuring out how to prove you are consci a conscientious worker at the start is tricky, um, but would be very, very uh, beneficial. Now, it goes on to say what conscientiousness is. So what makes up that quality? Uh, some of the things that we talked about, you know, it could incorporate empathy, focus, respect, efficiency, Determination, right? So this, when you think of conscientiousness, you're consistent. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're calculating in terms of what you're doing, but you're empathetic too, right? You're thinking about communicating in a way that serves the other person best, the organization best, but you're still getting things done consistently. And I can tell you from experience that 
If you can display that you'll be consistent, you give people a sense of certainty. And employers right now are really looking uh, for certainty over anything else. So let's go to the other categories here. Uh, we're going to go back to networking now. We're talking about the best transition articles of the week. Our, our staff picks have different categories, and the, there's an overall article, which I just discussed. So networking, the top article that our staff chose was 15 creative alternatives to in-person networking. 15 creative alternatives to in-person networking. Now, this was written uh, by uh, Forbes, Forbes staff uh, specifically, is who it says the authors are. I'm going to call out not all 15, but a few of them. Well, what the heck, I'll read all 15 here. So number one, travel and leisure surveys. Number two, online events. Number three, introductory videos. Number four, virtual client roundtables. Number five, enhanced social media presence. Let's pause there. This is something you definitely need to be doing. You have to increase your social media presence. So no matter where you were in your job search and you've been learning and you've been improving your LinkedIn profile, uh, maybe you've been dabbling in other social media, that employers use to hire, you have to take it to another level. You also have to realize that employers will use all social media to do research on you, not just LinkedIn. They will use Instagram. They will use Facebook. You should make all of your social media work to your advantage. Hide your personal Facebook profile. Make a secondary professional profile and make sure that it shows the same information that LinkedIn does. Use the same headshot. Show them that you're consistent. There's nothing to hide. Very, very important. And a lot of our associates have had success with this by making that small change, making all or multiple social media uh, accounts unified, their profiles unified, all pointing in the same direction towards the job that you want. Regular information exchange via email. What does this mean? It's a fancy way of saying following up by email, by LinkedIn messages, increasing those efforts. Advertising yourself online. That's number seven. Number eight. Instagram direct messages. Yes, again, not just LinkedIn, not just LinkedIn email. You can direct message companies on Instagram now as well. Get creative. LinkedIn networking is number nine. Number 10 is webinars, live social media videos. Number 11 is podcasting. Companies, a lot of companies have a podcast. You're listening to a podcast from a company. Uh, contacting people through a podcast. Actually, this is, this is perfect, unplanned. This podcast uh, the specific topic that we're reviewing is the result of a member uh, reaching out, so a listener reaching out and suggesting it. So you, you can use these other channels that few people are using to get through to the employers you want to work for. Number 12, free online workshops. Number 13, conversational marketing. It's just a fast, uh, simple way to talk about how you might interact with a company through their support systems. Uh, you can contact a company through the little chat bot in the bottom right window uh, to get to an actual person. Number 14, surprise and delight gifts for, a interview, uh, for somebody who's a job candidate like yourself. This would be after an interview, uh, sending a very nice card and a handwritten note uh, to each of the people that you met with, virtual or otherwise. And then number 15, virtual happy hours. You have to be meeting with people on Zoom you have to be networking, moving towards informational interviews, not just by phone, but, but certainly by video. Jump on a Zoom meeting. The good news is people are much more comfortable jumping on video meetings now than ever before. You can set these up very easily, and you should. You should be setting up with, up with other PhDs who already have jobs at the companies that you want to work for. 
Okay, the category of CVs and resumes, uh, the top pick here was how does my employment gap during COVID-19 look to potential employers? This is a great article written by Elaine Varelis, and uh, it's a Q&A article. So the question is, if I'm not working right now and don't really want to, is that going to look bad to potential employers? Uh, the best part of this answer, the, the author's answer, uh, to that question uh, is here in this excerpt. Employers want to see evidence that you want to work. Many people give answers that show they would much rather be doing anything else. This is so true of many of the PhDs that I've worked with. Going back to the excerpt, a recent candidate started an interview saying he had a good 10 years left starting the discussion. In other words, he started the discussion about a new job with his end or retirement in sight. Right, so he said, oh, I have a good 10 years left, so I might as well be doing something. So many of us go into job interviews like this not considering employers. Employers are looking for people who cannot wait to work, cannot wait to work for them specifically in that role. And you might think, oh, that's, realist that's unrealistic. And you, know, you, you might think, well, I'm going to play it cool. Uh, great, you're going you're to stay unemployed. Uh, or you certainly will not climb up to the level that you're capable of as a PhD because it's so important that you show enthusiasm. This is not about being rah-rah, and it's going to be, uh, there's a different uh, touch to this, so to speak, for every country, for every individual, for every company and that company's culture. But believe me, they want to see that you're engaged and that you want to work. They want to see that you could do the job they're asking you to do and of course, maybe higher and higher levels of leadership, but that job forever. You could stay there for the rest of your life because you want to work there so badly. So many PhDs have a hard time comprehending this. You have to show employers that you want to work, even if you want to you know, make sure you're working in a safe environment. You, you want to be safe uh, during the pandemic, of course, but you still want to show them that you're you're dying to work. Like you need to find a way to work virtually from home, whatever it takes. You'll figure it out. You'll adapt and you will do whatever they need you to do so that you can help them keep their business alive and successful during this. And again, this is, uh, is separate from obviously staying safe and, and the precautions that you want to take. Uh, but with the way that most companies are set up virtually now, what they're looking for you to, to do is say you're willing to adapt you can pivot, you can be flexible. Again, adaptability is one of those key transferable skills we've been talking about for months and that you actually want to work. All things being safe, you want to do the work. Uh, don't talk about like this example from the excerpt. Uh, don't, don't say things like, well, I, I just, you know, I'm, I've been a postdoc for 10 years now. I thought I'd try out industry. All right, that's an example of what not to say. Well, you know, I, I got tired of going after grants in academia, so I wanted to transition into industry. That sounds like you got tired of working. You don't want to work. Don't indicate that you don't like work or that you were unsuccessful in work or any of these things. Very, very important. And I really just love that part of the article. Um, this, the next category of our staff picks here are interviews. 15 topics to bring up in a job interview if you want to be memorable. 15 topics to bring up in a job interview if you want to be mem memorable. This was posted on Forbes as well. Um, this is from an excerpt panel, uh, expert panel, excuse me, uh, YEC. And I, I really like it. And so YEC is the Young Entrepreneur Council. Uh, but these 15 points will help you uh, when you're interviewing for a job. So number one, how you can help achieve company goals. Now remember, 
the title of this article is 15 topics to bring up in a job interview if you want to be memorable. So again, number one, how you can help achieve the company goals. Surprisingly, a lot of PhDs in particular draw a blank and they forget to connect what they can bring to the table to the actual goals, the quantifiable results that that company wants you to achieve, which is why it's so important for you to learn to speak in terms of results, not job duties or technical skills. Number two, your industry curiosity. I love that this is in this article. So relevant for PhDs. Get into that discovery mindset that we've talked about many times. Show your curiosity. What do you want to know? What, what's the new information? This happens to me all the time. Like I will get super focused on something that I want, a particular goal. I'm very goal-oriented. A lot of PhDs are. You're very driven. Um, and, and that's great because it focuses your attention, and a lot of people are not able to do that. But you can become too focused. You can become hyper-focused. You can really lock in and try to get what you want. We see this happen when we teach our associates negotiation skills for the first time. They're like, oh, I have all of these new skills now. I want to get a higher salary, so I'm going to drive home to get that higher salary no matter what it takes. I'm going to be ruthless. And you know what I'm talking about. You've seen different PhDs, maybe your PI, maybe your thesis committee, step into this highly focused competitive state. We compete a little bit differently. We don't call it competition. We call it like attacking a person's logic or just asking tough questions. But you know what I'm talking about. The opposite of that state is a more open state, a state of curiosity, that discovery mindset when you're just learning because you love to learn. And that engages you and other people can see that. The next time that you have somebody very curious about what you're saying and ask you questions. If you've ever gone to a networking event or had this happen to you randomly, it gave you a, an incredible feeling. You're like, wow, somebody is really curious about what I'm saying. They actually care about what I'm saying. They're hanging on my words. In a sense, they're very, very interested. That is exciting to employers. That is energizing. And so show your curiosity for different parts of industry. Oh, you, you mentioned the manufacturing process. How does that work? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on the research side, and uh, you know, I know this, there's this other side of commercialization that I've, I've been trained in. Right? That's the D in R&D, for example, uh, our R&D society members. We have an advanced program called the R&D Society. Uh, I mention that because uh, this kind of curiosity towards the development side of R&D or the commercialization side comes up a lot, and that is a great place to show that curiosity because then the, the attention comes on comes to you being curious and ready to learn uh, and that's where the conversation goes instead of going towards what you don't know like what you don't know becomes uh, a point of excitement a, a plus to you as a job candidate rather than a negative number three here your knowledge of the company's mission staff and re recent work number four follow-up questions on the company's past campaigns new product launches mergers and acquisitions what have they done before Number five, how you overcame a big failure. That's a behavioral question you will definitely be asked. Number six, seemingly unrelated experience that applies to the job. A great way to stand out, a great way to differentiate yourself is to talk about experiences outside of academia, outside of STEM that you've had that are relatable, like a summer job. They might ask you a behavioral question, a client-facing question. You can say, well, you know, I worked at XYZ restaurant. Uh, before going uh, to undergrad, and I had this great interaction with these clients that, that uh, or the people that were seated in my section. Uh, they were upset about a steak 
Well, actually, I'll tell you a story that's happened to me that, that I've used before. Um, I used to work at a restaurant that was on a lake, and it was, it was one of two restaurants, and it was in a resort, and the, uh, it, was, it was the lower end of the two restaurants. So there's a very expensive restaurant that a lot of people would go to, and then I worked in the, the, the restaurant that wasn't as expensive. It had a lot more volume, a lot more uh, traffic, a lot more people would go there. But they went there, and it was still expensive enough that it, they expected the food to be good, especially uh, the, the steaks and certain other dishes, the fish dishes, etc. Uh, so somebody that sat in one of my sections was a large table, a larger family. They ordered a bunch of steaks, and everybody was happy. But then at the end, when it came time to pay, somebody was really upset about their steak and complained about it, um, seemingly out of nowhere. And what I did is I thought, okay, well, the customer's always always right, and I just need to do whatever the customer wants. And so I did. I went to my boss. I said, can we just give them these steaks for free, et cetera? It was like a hundred-plus-dollar table, and we ended up giving uh, a lot of it away for free. And to me, I was the I, I was waiting on the table, so I was like, well, that doesn't hurt me because I just, you know, can give the steaks away for free. They'll probably give me an even bigger tip because I got some of the uh, some of their charges taken away. Um, and I was, I was just thinking selfishly about myself. I wasn't thinking about how uh, not challenging this, uh, this person who didn't like the stakes and why everything was fine until then and, and not asking for advice from upper management who's been in that situation before. I didn't think about how it would affect, again, I didn't think about how it would affect the organization uh, as a whole to have the reduced uh, profits or margins on that particular di dish. All of these different things that I didn't know and that I, that I learned from that particular incident. And, you know, after it happened, the manager pulled me aside and had a conversation with me. I, I was very young at the time, of course, and said, you know, you know that, that kind of stuff happens, but you have to realize that there are some people that will be totally fine and happy when it comes time to pay. You know, they don't want to pay for full price, so they'll say that, you know, the steak wasn't as good, even though they ate the entire steaks and, and, and these people did. Um, so you just have to, you know, ask for advice. Sometimes it's better to, uh, ask a few questions, stand kind of firm, make them pay because it's not, you know, the, the revenue that comes from them paying for those steaks, you know, also pays for the salary of, of the chefs, of, of the hosts and hostesses, uh, of, of my salary, the, the, the manager said. So there's different things involved here. And if we've done a good job, um, then there, there should be that transaction of value. Long story short, sharing an experience like that, something that most PhDs would never think to share because it's not like directly related to their academic achievements or STEM, can be super valuable. This, this is what you need to even communicate on, on your resume or LinkedIn profile. Show something that shows that you're well-rounded. This stuff really sticks out. Number seven, product-led success stories. Number eight, your feedback on a recent company press, press mention. So if there's a press release, about a merger and acquisitions, an internal restructuring, something that happened at the company, and you should be researching those beforehand. Mention those things during the interview. They will stand out because it shows that you've done your homework and you're staying topical. You, you're up to date with current trends. Number nine, suggestions for company strategies. Number 10, questions about company values. Number 11, your willingness to learn. Goes right uh, in line with that, the second one about uh, having that discovery mindset, showing your curiosity. Number 12, the interviewer's own experience at the company. Number 13, the hiring manager's reservations about you. Great way to end the interview. What reservations do you have about me or about hiring me for this role? It's a great way to address a concern before that person meets with the hiring committee and get them to 
tell you what their concern is, address it, overcome it, and they will walk into that hiring committee meeting afterwards, uh, taking that justification forward and recommending you. That's a pro tip. <laughs> Number 14, how you would improve the business. Be careful here, though. Don't act like you know how to do their job better than they do. Just instead act like how you could jump into this role and right away start helping them get the results that they want. Keep it role specific. Don't say, oh, well, you know, you just need to, um, you should have merged with this company instead. As an example, don't do that. Number 15, where the interviewer sees the company in the future. This is so smart because every person you interview with is going to have a different role, a different, um, a slightly different vision of the company. Sure, they're going to be, you know, they're gonna, their vision is going to be aligned with the company vision. Ideally, they're not going to want to veer off of that too much during an interview with a, a job candidate that they met that day. But asking them what their thoughts are, showing a personal interest in them and where, where they would take that department or, or what their goals are uh, is, is a great way to stand out. Back to our staff picks, we have transferable skills. The top article is the four skills you can add to your resume that you've learned from working remotely during the pandemic. We covered that one. Academic blues, the top pick was 15 to one, how many applicants it can take to land a single academic job offer. No surprise here, things are getting worse in academia and with all of the hiring freezes, it is very, very difficult to have any sort of future in academia right now, which is likely why, why you're here. Industry positions, that category, the staff picks for this category, number one was four ways to excel as a female data scientist. Uh, this is a, a excellent article and the author of the article um, is featured in it as well, uh, Alicia Frame. Uh, she's a lead product manager and data scientist at Neo4j. And uh, number four, I'm going to jump to number four here, is sharpening your soft skills. Now, they take you farther than you think. As a PhD, you have to understand that those soft skills, the active listening, um, here specifically, Alicia mentions compassion, which goes hand in hand what we with what we talked about earlier, conscientiousness is crucial. This is a strength. Don't hide from this. And then finally, our staff picks for business acumen, which CRE markets top STEM, uh, uh, top STEM growth rankings, which CR, CRE markets um, top STEM growth ranking uh, are, are ranking in stop STEM top growth <laughs> is what it sounds like it should be. Uh, this is a great article though. It has a, a really good figure. Uh, it's a pie chart that looks at different STEM occupations. And I'm going to read the different occupations here. Engineering, software developers, life and physical sciences, computer and information systems managers, computer support specialists, computer systems analysts, computer programmers, social scientists, and mathematicians, mathematical uh, occupations as well. Did you see that social scientists are under STEM? I've had a lot of people reach out saying, I don't think social scientists and social sciences are understanding. They absolutely are. Um, they're the growth, the biggest growth sector here is engineering, 31.9%. Uh, but I want to show that number, number two and three, which are tied, one software developers, but the other is life and physical sciences at 11.7%. That's growth, and we're going to see that continue to expand uh, after the pandemic. So it's, it's important to understand where this STEM uh, DEX came from. It began in 2006, 
um, and it, they just look at these these top uh, organizations. I think in uh, 38, yeah, 38 uh, of the largest metro uh, regions. Uh, so what does that mean for you? STEM is growing. It's one of the most protected sectors, really during any recession, uh, and certainly uh, post-pandemic. I mean, if you're looking at what's happening to the valuations of companies, uh, those that are in the, the STEM space, the tech space, are growing the fastest right now. So this is a great time for you to lean into your career. There's not a future for you in academia, or let, let me put it this way, there's a much more difficult path forward for any sort of academic career, but in industry, you are needed more than ever before. Whether it's life sciences, physical sciences, engineering, social sciences, mathematics, of course, computer programming, tech in general, um, and beyond. And we see it for people in the humanities as well. Because whether it's data or information, you have the ability to collect it, to evaluate its credibility, to analyze and synthesize it, and then to uh, repackage it as needed for certain audiences or to communicate it and, and translate that technical data or that, inf you know, that, that data that's specific or that information that's specific to your background or to a, a niche field of expertise and translate it into business data or business information uh, that will help increase productivity, increase profits, revenues, etc. This is why companies are hiring PhDs right now. This is why they will hire you. Hopefully this show was helpful. If you like this show uh, where we were able to go through and uh, do a digest of sorts of the best information out there for transitioning into industry, please let us know. You can go to cheekyscientist.com slash contact to let us know. You can reach out to us on social media as well. If you want to learn more about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association, the world's largest platform specifically for getting PhDs hired into industry, go to phdsgethired.com now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www dot phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, p-h-d-s-g-e-t-h-i-r-e-d.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's CheekyRadio, C-H-E-E-K-Y, R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. 
The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power, and your network is your net worth. Oh, 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 oh.